Who's the greatest sinner in history? Well, in modern history, how about a serial killer? Or maybe a brutal dictator or leader of a genocide? Well, in biblical times, how about Queen Jezebel and King Ahab? Or Judas for betraying Jesus? Well, today on Through the Bible, we'll hear the Apostle Paul assert that he is the chief of sinners. Is Paul exaggerating or is he sincere? We'll find out what our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, has to say on this subject in just a minute. I'm Steve Schwetz, and as you hop aboard the Bible bus and you find your seat, let's hear from fellow listeners. First, we've got an email from Ellen and Dan. We have been faithful writers on the Bible bus, they write, and each day, each broadcast, each trip brings us closer to our Lord Jesus. We're now on our third journey, and although we're traveling down familiar roads, there are always new sights to behold and new truths to understand. We love the teaching of Dr. McGee and praise the Lord for choosing him to be our guide into the whole word. Daily, we look forward to taking our seats and delight in the travels. From the Old Testament to the New Testament and back again, the journey never gets old, for the Holy Spirit reveals new nuggets of truth. We started listening on the radio and now listen on our computer. And when we travel, we are so happy to listen on the cell phone. We marvel that technology is now enabling us to hear God's word wherever we go. Please continue to stop and pick us up. We'll be waiting to hop on board. Well, that's a great letter. Thanks so much, Ellen and Dan. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to save you a seat every day. Now, here's a quick note. This one's from Solomon in Maryland. I give God the glory for this wonderful teaching ministry. I am originally from Liberia and began listening to your program there before moving to the U.S. during Liberia's Civil War. Now I am blessed to have a smartphone, and I have downloaded your app. I listen to you every morning as I go to work. I will continue to pray that the Lord richly blesses you and that God's word will be heard here in the United States, in my home country of Liberia, and all over the world until everyone has had an opportunity to learn of his love. Well, thanks, Solomon. And you know, your prayers are so much appreciated. And that's our desire as well, that the whole word would get out to the whole world. Our last letter comes from Jenny. She's in Missouri. I've been on the Bible bus for 12 years and have learned so much from Dr. McGee. I travel frequently, and like many people, I began taking Uber. I usually make friendly conversation with the drivers. But in my last few trips, the Lord has put it on my heart to ask their thoughts about Him. As you can imagine, I've gotten some very interesting answers from all religions are the same to no one can really know God. Well, during those moments, I've remembered how Dr. McGee says Christianity is not a religion but a person. So I just talk to them about Jesus. Since my time is limited, I tell them that I've been helped to know Jesus through listening to your programs and then tell them to Google the Bible bus. I pray for each of them still and hope that they are listening. I'm so glad your programs are available in many languages and different media. I'm including some gas money to keep the Bible bus moving through our next study. Thank you all. Well, that's a great story. Thanks again for writing to us, Jenny. And and thank you for your investment that keeps the Bible bus rolling through your community and all over the world. And great idea, by the way, sharing Jesus with those Uber drivers. And, you know, now we've got a resource for you as well. It's our Bible bus passes. They come in packs of 10. They're about the size of a business card. And that Uber driver can then hit the QR code on the back and download the app themselves. And you can get that by just calling us at 1-800-65-BIBLE and request them. And if you'd like to join Jenny in providing maybe a tank of gas or a new set of tires for the Bible bus to keep it traveling through your hometown and around the world in more than 200 languages, all you need to do is visit ttb.org forward slash give or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word and the grace that you give us 
Please teach us something new today, something that will help us know and love you better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now it's time to turn to the end of Nehemiah chapter 3 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we come back here to this second chapter of Galatians, and we left off at verse 19. And before we get into verse 20, I'd like for you to notice this. Paul says, For I, through law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. Now, what he's saying here is just simply this. He says, when Christ died, he died for me, died in my stead, because the law had condemned me. You see, the law was a ministration of condemnation, ministration of death, is what Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. And it condemns man. And even under the legal system, God would have had to destroy the nation. But he gave the sacrificial system, five sacrifices, all of them pointing to Christ. And God, by his marvelous grace, was able to save. And therefore, that mercy seat was a throne of grace where a nation could find forgiveness of sins. Now, the law, therefore, condemned me. The law, therefore, has accused me and accused man. And we stand guilty before the law. And so the law actually is responsible for Jesus dying for us. The law condemned us, said we had to die. All right, now, if I'm dead to the law, then let's be very frank. If I'm dead to the law, then, my friend, (laughs) I'm no longer responsible to the law. The law's already killed me. It's executed me, and I'm dead. I'm dead to the law. Therefore, the law could not do for me what Christ has done for me. He not only took my place and died for me, but he also did something else. He was able to give me life. He came back from the dead. You see, the law arrested, condemned, sentenced, and slew us. And that's all the law could do. It could only, in the very nature of the case, condemn and slay us. And if you want to come that route, you'll get death, friend. Only Christ can give you life. And after all, life is what we need today. Now, here in the 20th verse, he goes on, "...I am crucified with Christ." Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, this 20th verse here states a fact which is true of every believer. Now, we are not to seek to be crucified with Christ. As we said last time, there's so many of these young people today, they... Talk about they want to live the crucified life. And he's not talking about that at all here. We are not to seek to be crucified with Christ. We have already been crucified with him. And now the principle of living, it's not by the law, which had slain because it found us guilty, but we're now to live by faith. Faith what? Faith in the Son of God. 
You see, friends, the death of Christ upon the cross, it was not only penal, that is, he not only died a penal death, that is, paying the penalty for our sins, but he died a substitutionary death as well. He was not only the sacrifice for sin, but he was the substitute for all who believe. Paul declares, therefore, here that under the law, he was tried, found guilty, and he was condemned, and in the person of his substitute, he was slain. Now, when did that take place? It took place 1,900 years ago. I am crucified with Christ. When? When Christ died. But nevertheless, I live. How do I live? In Christ. He's alive today at God's right hand. We're told that we've been put in Christ today. Now, you can't improve on that. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live. Now, that ought to get rid of this foolish notion today that we can crucify ourselves. When I was a pastor in downtown Los Angeles, I had a young man that came to me after a service. And he said to me, Dr. McGee, are you living the crucified life? I think I rather startled the boy. I said, no, I'm not. Are you? And he hesitated for a moment and stuttered and stammered around and finally said, well, I try to. Oh, I said, that's not the question you asked me. You asked me if I'm living the crucified life. And I answered you. I said, no. Now you tell me yes or no. Are you living the crucified life? Well, he said, I'm trying to. Well, I said, that's, of course, not it. You're either living it or you're not living it. But I said to him, you can't live the crucified life. Oh, he says, why can't I live it? Well, I said, that verse doesn't say that. I said, you know, there's something quite interesting about crucifixion. You can kill yourself. You can commit suicide in many different ways. You can hang yourself. You can shoot yourself. You can take poison. You can jump off of a high building. You can jump in front of a truck. There are many different ways you can kill yourself, but you can't kill yourself but crucifying yourself. You see, when you nail one hand to the cross, who in the world's going to nail that other hand to the cross? You're not going to be able to make it that way, brother. And when you talk about I'm crucified with Christ, you have to understand what Paul is talking about. Paul says, 1,900 years ago, I was crucified with Christ. When he died, he died a substitutionary death. He died for you. He died for me. Now, we're also told in the sixth of the Roman, we've been buried with him by baptism, by identification. We have been raised with him in newness of life. And now we're joined to the living Christ. Paul says we don't know him any more after the flesh. He's not the man of Galilee walking around the Sea of Galilee. I walked around that sea and I didn't see him. He's not there today. Why? He's at God's right hand. He's the glorified Christ today. So that Paul is saying here, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. You see, the law executed this. The law could not give us life. Who gave us life? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. How do you live? Oh, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. My friend, that's the thing that's important. He died for me down here that I might live in him. 
up yonder, and that he might live in me down here. And the life, Paul says, which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. What kind of life is this? It's a life of faith. Saved by faith, live by faith, walk by faith. And that's what it means to walk in the Spirit today. And we're going to see that in this epistle too. Not only are you saved by faith, you're to live by faith. Now he says, by the faith of the Son of God, and this is lovely. He says, the Son of God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. He loved me, but he just couldn't love me into heaven. (laughs) He had to give himself for me. And the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And you can only receive a gift by faith, any gift for that matter. You've got to believe the giver who holds the gift out to you means business and is telling the truth when he holds it out and says it's yours. And you have to reach out in faith to take it. You don't know he may, you know, take it back in a hurry. But you have to have confidence. Now, God offers you the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now, this verse is one of the reasons that I believe that Paul was present at the crucifixion of Christ. That man was a Pharisee. Pharisees were the one led in the crucifixion. He was a leader in the persecution of the church. And he was also one who hated the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in Jerusalem at that time in the school of Gamaliel a young man, and I can't believe he'd stay home the day they crucified Jesus. I think he was there, and it says of these Pharisees, they shot out the lip at him. They ridiculed him. They told him to come down from the cross, and they did all of that, and they sat down and watched him die, and you can't be any lower than that. And I think that Paul was there that day. Now, after he came to know the glorified Christ, the one that died down here, the one who rose again in his, at God's right hand, Paul could go back and look back and he could say, while I was there ridiculing him, while I was there shooting out the lip at him, he loved me and I hated him then. But he loved me and he gave himself for me. And that's the supreme sacrifice, by the way. And Paul called himself the chief of sinners. Now, when he said that, that was not academic. That was not hyperbole. It was not an oratorical gesture. When he said that, that is an actual fact. He's the chief of sinners. Why? Because you can't go any lower than to sit down and watch him die on the cross, my friend. And you can trot underfoot the blood of the precious blood of Christ today by ignoring him and turning against him and away from him, as Paul did. And Paul could call himself the chief of sinners. And it was that crowd the Lord Jesus said, Forgive them. They know not what they do. And this man, Saul of Tarsus, became Paul the apostle. And he said he loved me, and he gave himself for me. And he said, When I was hating him, he was loving me. And he was giving himself for me that I might have life. Now Paul goes on to say, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now, the whole thought, I think, is just simply this. 
that if there'd been any other way to save sinners, then God would have used that method. He would have adopted that method. If a law could have been given, or a religion could have been given to save sinners, God would have done that. This was the only way that an infinite God could save you and me. And he was willing to make the supreme sacrifice. Now, this brings us through this chapter. And now we come to another section of justification by faith, this doctrinal section. Justification by faith, the experience of the Galatians. Now, I personally believe in experience. I have a Methodist background as a boy. I went down as a fella to a little penitent altar underneath a brush arbor back of an unpainted Methodist church in southern Oklahoma, and I knelt there. My heart is open. I didn't get much instruction, but believe me, my heart was open. I was ready for somebody, you know, to talk to me, to say something to me. Well, the thing is, I believe in experience, and we're going to come to that again a little later when we get to the fourth chapter. But now Paul goes back to the experience of the Galatians. And now how did they get saved? Did they get saved by law, or were they saved by faith in Jesus Christ? That's very important to see that. And he says here in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Now, he says here, O foolish Galatian. The very interesting word here is the word mind is noose. And actually, what he's saying is this. He's saying you're not using your mind. You're not using your noose. And let me put it in a good Americano idiom. What's gotten into you? <laughs> what has really happened to you? Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? What's gotten into you? And he says here, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth. Now, this word set forth actually means placarded, painted. In other words, Paul painted a word picture. I'm not sure, but why did he use illustrations? That is, actually draw pictures. That is the thing that he's saying here. Any way to get the gospel out. I used to show, as a pastor, a great many slides. It's a marvelous way of teaching the Word of God. And I wouldn't dare teach the tabernacle without using slides. Now, that's the way you set forth, and that's the word Paul uses, he said, this is the way Jesus Christ was set before you. He was set forth, crucified among you, and that it was his death upon the cross that made it possible, your salvation. Now, in verse 2, he says, this only would I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Now, we need to be very careful here, and probably should say this, the gospel is true, irrespective of experience. And what experience does, it corroborates the gospel. Or let me put it like this. 
there are a great many people today that reason from experience to truth. And I personally think that the Word of God, as we have it here, always reasons from truth to experience. And that means we don't discount experience, but experience must be tested by truth. Now, everybody has a different experience. I hear one of the founders of the cult, a woman, she tells about her experience. Then we got a woman today, she tells about her experience and that type of thing. And their experiences are entirely different. Now, which woman am I going to follow? Tell the truth, I'm not going to follow either one of them. I heard of a man in a meeting. He got up and he read a passage of Scripture. And after he read it, he said, now look. He said, there's difference of opinion about the interpretation of this passage of Scripture. And he says, because there is a difference of opinion, we don't want to cause any controversy here. And he says, let me tell you about my experience. Well, may I say to you, his experience was as far removed, actually, from what that passage of Scripture said as anything could possibly be. And he's basing truth on his experience. Well, you don't do that. Experience must corroborate the gospel. Now, the gospel is something you hear. And that which you hear, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, what does he mean by the hearing of faith? The organ of hearing, the ear, the receiving of the message, or the message itself. I think he means the whole process. He heard something. And you've got to hear something before you can be saved. Because the gospel is something God has done for you. And you have to know about that. Now, what Paul is doing here in this section is, very frankly, he's raising several questions. There are six questions here that he asks these people, and that has to do with experience, the experience of these people here. And therefore, he's saying here very carefully to them, what was your experience? Well, let me read several of these questions now. First, this only would I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith. And nowhere did anyone ever receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law. Nowhere, even in the Old Testament, never was put on that basis. It's by the hearing of faith. And now the second question is, are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? In other words, if the Holy Spirit is the one that converted you, brought you to Christ, and now you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, now you're going to turn back to the law which was given to control the flesh and think you're going to live on a high plane? Well, of course you're not going to live on a high plane. Then he says in verse 4, Have ye suffered so many things in vain? Now he says, Remember, you've suffered. You paid a price for the gospel. And my friend, you'll do that. And he says, If it be yet in vain, that is, without a purpose. Paul says, Are you going to let all of this you've suffered just come to naught? Then he says, he therefore that ministered to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Then he's talking about his ministry that he had among them. And there's nothing as deadening 
as legalism today. That's the reason so many churches, even fundamental churches, are dead. They've created a new legalism, and they attempt to follow through on that. And my friend, I've got a liberty in Christ. And you know what that liberty is? I want to bow to him and do what he wants me to do. And my liberty is in Christ today. I want to do his will. And if I'm able to do that, and I can't do it in my own strength, only by the Spirit of God, but if I do it, oh, I have freedom. I don't have to come in your little wicked gate. I'm sorry, cults and isms. Don't bother me. I'm joined to the living Christ today. How wonderful it is. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. You can share today's study with a friend by directing them to download our app or by visiting ttb.org forward slash listen. And you can also call 1-800-65-BIBLE to find out about our Bible bus flash drive. And we got more in this amazing study in Galatians next time. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll be here saving a seat on the Bible bus just for you. Well, ride the Bible bus for five years and you'll be amazed at what God teaches you from his word about what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a blessing that keeps on going. That's what we believe at Through the Bible.